Hello, and welcome to the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete, a show where two friends review a randomly chosen American Top 40 episode from the 1970s, the most interesting decade in pop music. My name is Mark Roback, and with me is my friend and co-host, Peter Gardo. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Well, I'll be uh, going up to Maine for a few days this coming weekend, so... Nice. So we're opening up the camp... And I'm, I will not stop at the main pizzeria for <laughs> dirty pizza. <laughs> okay. I saw, I saw something on the news today that they're uh, cracking down on panhandlers in your town. Um, it's not going to eat into your uh, second source of income or anything. No, no. Because I, no. I have seen you outside the uh, Butt-Off Williams house panhandling. <laughs> In in some sixteenth uh, or seventeenth century garb. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. Give me your shillings. Yes. <laughs> so Pete and I have been friends for thirty plus years. We met in college and then ended up working together for a very long time. In each episode, we will review all forty songs in the chosen week's countdown and provide some factual information on each song, as well as our personal opinions, stories, and comments related to it. At the end of the countdown, we'll provide our individual choices for best and worst song. We think we'll torture the other guy that we've labeled the agonizer. And we will give our individual A plus through F grade for the entire countdown. Since nobody has the same taste in music, our opinions on individual songs may be controversial, but we otherwise intend to keep the conversation light, humorous, and hopefully entertaining. Remember, this is just a discussion, not a competition, so please, no wagering. All right. Well, today for us, Mark, it's episode six, AT40 from the week ending June 11th, 1977. And this week's episode is called Big Old Jet Airliner, going to fly higher and higher and higher now. End quote. (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) All right. So, um you at this time around june of 1977 well uh all i know is that i was ending the sixth sixth grade and uh i went to my father's handy dandy date book and uh i had recently joined the boy scouts and uh there was going to be a court of honor so i was getting probably initiated or something at that point in time and then i look uh, on the next day my my father's He's traveling at 5 a.m. This is would be Sunday to go to an ASME concert, American Society of Mechanical Engineers, uh, in in Tampa, and uh, he would return on Wednesday from his trip to Tampa. Nothing like going to Tampa in in the 70s uh, uh, in, in June. Yeah. So, uh, so so then what I did is I went into the postcard collection of uh, 
and to see if anything was sent by my father to, uh, to, to us at home. And, and he did not send anything. And then I said, okay, hmm, maybe he sent postcards to his parents. And well, you know what? I did not find postcards that were sent on, on June 11th, 1977, but I did find one that was sent on June 11th, 1963. <laughs> okay. and, and, and so it's close enough. It's just uh, 14 years different. And June 11th, 1963, gross Gross Golf von Werner von Braun on die Schon, Ernie. So that was to his folks. My 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 folks, uh, his folks came from Bavaria. And so there's a picture of the Saturn V rockets because he was down there for work at the time. We were working on the space race and uh, it was a one-tenth model of of the Saturn V. And, uh, and then lo and behold, nine months later, February 4th, 1964, he also went back to Huntsville, and this time he wrote it in English. Greetings from Vernon von Braun and Ernie. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so did he? Did he meet Werner von Braun? No, I, I don't think so. You know, yeah. he's yeah, but but he was working at at a company you know quite well at the time. Yeah, um, <laughs> working on the space program. So cool. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I don't remember too many details um i was finishing up the seventh grade few um cultural things we'll get into a little bit that i do remember vividly but um yeah specifically not too much but um you know at this point i think uh all all three of my siblings had uh, graduated high school and um so the house uh I think at least my sister had moved out and, and maybe one of my brothers. So his house was starting to get empty. And and I think my, um, my next oldest brother was probably up at college at this point. So, yeah. Yep. Everyone's getting old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're moving on through the, right. through the 70s. Yeah. So, um, was going on at that time period, May, June in 1977. Um, on May 25th, George Lucas's Star Wars was, and becomes the highest grossing film for the next five years. Um, I remember seeing it at West Farms Mall. They, they had a movie theater back then. I don't know if you uh, ever went there or remember that, Pete. Yeah, I, I, I went to see Star Wars, and I went with my three older sisters, and my oldest sister drove, and I'd recently gotten glasses, and I forgot the glasses, and I couldn't see it. Oh, God. So, you know, it was, it was one of these things, and, and I, I don't think I've ever seen, seen it since then either. Really? So, Wow, it just went by like a blur. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's incredible, but yeah, interesting. But it was, um, yeah, and the, those theaters were called the movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, I think May- it, was, oh. it was right, it was the great thing about it, it was right across the, the, the hallway from the head shop. Oh. <laughs> Remember? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was near, was it near that sculpture that I think is still there with like the... It's like a disc on top of a like curved piece of aluminum, yeah. and my brother, I remember, he used to he was pretty good at drawing like cartoons and things, and he made this like movie poster, and it was called The Mall, and it was a horror film, and that disc was like 
coming down and falling onto people or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's still there. I haven't, I, I don't think I've been to that mall since in 28 years. Wow. Yeah, so. I haven't been there too recently, but so uh, on May, Presley walked off stage in the middle of a concert in Baltimore uh, after receiving treatment from a physician. He reappeared on stage about a half hour later. Um, he would die on August 16th um, of this same year, which was uh, a sad event in music for sure. On June 22nd, Kiss are elected most popular band in America by a Gallup poll. Wow. Sure, that made some people very happy. <laughs> Not yeah. me necessarily, but <laughs> some people. <laughs> uh, so um, some technology that came out in 1977, the Commodore PET, the TRS-80, and the Apple II personal computers all came out. Um, the Apple II would lead to the VisaCalc, the first commercial spreadsheet um, that came out in 1979. And Pete would be happy that that was before you could use a mouse in a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Apple II used the Motorola 6502 8-bit processor, which is one that I learned programming on in college, believe it or not. So, Was that the orange book with the blue lines on it? I think it might have been. Yeah. <laughs> I have my, I, when we clean up my folks' house, I got those books. My, my dad had them because he first i don't know you know he i also got all his punch cards too from his uh that he that he had but uh and i was talking about that yesterday because i was in the lab with jim w and um and we were looking at assembly code <laughs> there <laughs> <That's>, you go <laughs> and, and, and you got a phone call from somebody i think right about the same time yeah that, yeah i did yeah amazingly so, <laughs> that was kind of funny um, the Atari 2600 home video game console came out. Uh, I remember that. I, I remember the tank battle. I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> I still have it hooked up to a TV upstairs out on the porch. Oh, really? <laughs> and I never bought it. My folks never got it from me. I got it from my friend's little brother. Oh, wow. And I got a whole box of games. Wow. So, yeah. Um, the, uh, first MRI scanner came out in 1977 as well. Have you ever had an MRI? I have uh, a, a two of them actually. Was that for your back? Uh, for my back, and I was also having a neck problem at one point. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people get claustrophobic, but I, I, it, it is tight. But I was like, uh, looked like I could shimmy out if I really had to, <laughs> so I was okay. <laughs> they play music for you in there because the machine is loud. And they told me ahead of time, it's like, raise your hand if, or, or push this button if, if you're, you know, you got to contact us or something's wrong. And it was like the music came out and it was too freaking loud. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to press the button because of this. You know? <laughs> Hopefully it was a song that had the word boogie in it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what genre they played. But, uh, <laughs> uh, it, thankfully, it wasn't like, bread or, or <laughs> shannon or anything like that but the, the agonizer then <laughs> uh and uh so anyway also in 1977 the uh lockheed martin they they tested the have blue which becomes the first stealth air 
would later become the F-117 stealth fighter, which uh, some people we know worked on that as well. So kind of interesting there. In 1977, the economy was pretty rough, I would say. Uh, The unemployment rate was 7.7% and the inflation rate was 11%. That's huge. Yeah. So a gallon of gas was 62 cents. That'd be $2.92 cents in today's uh, bucks. That's still not a bad price. But you know what? You know what I spent yesterday on, on a gallon of gas? Were you five bucks? Five, uh, $5.69.9 a gallon. Cool. Where did you buy gas? Well, I was uh, I, I drove a car that, that I hadn't driven for a while, and it took uh, Uber, and I was leaving work. And I work up near where gas is expensive. Yeah, but man. So, typically, I don't buy gas up there. I buy it on Gasoline Alley, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> it was wow. almost a hundred bucks. Wow, that's that's incredible. Ninety six dollars and thirty cents. Wow, I did that. <laughs> wow. So uh, a gallon of milk in '77 was a dollar sixty-eight. That's uh, seven dollars and ninety-one cents. Milk was like incredibly expensive in the in the earlier '70s. I'm coming to realize the average home price in '77 was fifty-four thousand two hundred dollars. That's about two hundred and fifty-five thousand two hundred today. And minimum wage was two dollars and sixty-five cents. That's uh, about twelve dollars and fifty cents today. All right. Um, Pete, you want to talk about what was on TV then? Sure. So Sunday, Monday, happy days. Number one, Laverne <laughs> and Shirley, Shlomio Shlomalo, Hassan Pfeffer Incorporated, MASH, <laughs> Charlie's Angels, Hello Angels, and the guy with the $6 million eye. Yes. <laughs> I mean, so ABC uh, wins again. So, uh, I yeah. saw. I didn't see Charlie's Angels much, but or Laverne and Shirley are happy. Mash, Mash and Six Mill were the because the TV was rationed where I grew up. Yeah, I I didn't. It, it seems like ABC wasn't on much in our house. I did watch the the guy with the six million dollar eye, Laverne and Shirley. I just remember my brother, uh, one of my brothers, always saying, "It's like oh, the whole show is just the two of them falling over each other all the time." <laughs> And happy days, yeah. I wasn't really a fan, but um, yeah. So what? uh, So as let's see, did I see? Well, I saw one of these movies without my glasses, and I and I know I saw the second one that came out. So May twenty fifth, Star Wars came out. Two days later, which is weird because um, typically all the movies come out on the same day. I I have seen this movie a number of times, and it's it's a American classic. Smoking the Bandit. Yeah, which came up in in our previous episodes when we were talking about a, Jerry Reed, yeah. Jerry Reed, and um, uh, oh, Paul Will Williams. Williams. Paul yeah. Williams also. Well, he right? was in Smoking the Bandit Part Two. Part Two, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what else came out? Let's see, June second, Capricorn One with two. One of our favorite people we talked about last week is Tully Savalas, and then an infamous uh, character who was beloved in the seventies up until 1994, a gentleman named uh, O.J. Simpson. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen that movie? Uh, I've seen bits of it, but I've never seen the whole thing. Yeah, and, uh, uh, I think 
Telly Savalas in a way steals the show. It's typical Telly Savalas, which I say he's always angry. He's always ticked off, and he he plays a, he plays a pilot at the end, and he he's calling everybody perverts for no reason whatsoever. It's <laughs> kind of his his so, spiel. I I might have never seen Capricorn One, but I have seen O.J. Simpson recently, just back in February. He was at the casino walking through with his entourage where uh uh i saw a deep purple so uh so yeah. i got a i got a photograph of him and and uh and, and 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 john who was there says that guy looks like oj simpson and i, I turn around and look and says yeah yeah it's the juice <laughs> <laughs> yes i remember getting a, a text probably moments after you saw him and uh sure enough yeah. Um, was I, I keep wondering, was he at the Deep Purple concert? Though? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't yeah. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, a couple weeks later, A Bridge Too Far came out. Was that with David Niven? I think he was in it. it was, that was a star-studded cast. It was one but is that these... the one where the prisoners of war build the bridge for the Japanese? No, no, that's... Burma? Uh, no, that's... Oh, that's uh, the bridge over River Bridge Kwai. over the River Kwai, yeah. And that's Alec Guinness, who was in... Star Wars. Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> There's the right. mix-up. So well, I got my, I got my bridges wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the Deep. Now the Deep was only made because of uh, Sherman Hemsley, you know, writing Jaws. Also, or not Sherman Hemsley. Uh... <laughs> Sherman Hemsley. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not to be confused with Peter Benchley, Peter who Benchley. starred in the Jeffersons. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my goodness. Did you do happy oh. hour early today? <laughs> no, 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 no. I just got off of work, man. Give me a break. Yeah, yeah. You're you're uh, drunk with ace. <laughs> yeah. It's now called core. Yeah, so I heard. Yeah. <laughs> you poor bastards. <laughs> yeah. So uh, some data sources we use Billboard magazine because that's where the countdown comes from. Allmusic.com, songfacts.com, and wikipedia.com because Mark is lazy. Yep. <laughs> uh, books uh, ranking the 70s by Dan Isabel and Bill Carroll uh, American Top 40 with Casey Kasem that's 1970s with Pete Battistini now on with the countdown this is number 40 I want to take you what a downer to start yeah. the top 40. <laughs> yeah, so it's a good song. Yeah, but believe it or not, this is Alice Cooper, You and Me. Um, I do remember this one. Of course, it's not your typical uh, Alice Cooper. It's very romantic and soft rock from Grandfather of Goth. Um, it sort of, to me, it's like a similar theme to uh, Summer Breeze by Seals and Crofts, you know, talking about Yeah, but just... Bob Steele would never play this. <laughs> no. Although, I, I guess just... <laughs> Alice Cooper, but uh, Alice Cooper himself described this genre as heavy metal housewife rock. So, oh. you know, a lot of housewives listen to Bob Steele. That's right. Yeah. Um, it, but uh, one other thing, I read that Alice Cooper said he did did like 
these softer songs totally out of spite because he kept reading so many articles that said uh, he was never considered that music. You know, that mm. people liked his shows, but they, they were lacking musically. And, and he made a comment, which I thought was funny. Uh, it's like, well, we're not as good as ELP, but we, <clears throat> we, did, we didn't want to be, is what yeah. he said. So. All right. He actually said that he must have been, been very sarcastic with that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number 39. I like this song. I do too. So, uh, this is actually my record collection, the uh, LP. Um, one of my sisters had it, now I have it. So, uh, along with postcards that my father sent to my, my grandparents uh, 60 years ago. <laughs> yeah, about Werner von Braun. That's right. <laughs> what do you think of Pablo Cruz? Four so guys this is, from San Francisco, right? Yeah, so this is good. Um, the, the guitar, I like. Sort of the solo sounds a little Steely Dan-esque. Um, Casey was talking about the, you know, several groups coming out of the San Francisco music scene at this time. You had Credence, The Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, Steve Miller, Boz Skaggs, Lion the Family Stone. Um, I guess this group was formed in 1973 uh, by David Jenkins, Corey Lirios, Steve Price, and uh, they were members of the band Stone Ground. Um, and this single was their first major hit. It reached number six. Good song. Yeah, I like this one. All right, on with the countdown. Number 38. The only two things in life that make it worth living is guitars are too good and firm, feeling women. Now, this is a definite crossover hit. Yeah. He likes. I got my song. Got you with me tonight. Maybe it's time we got back to the basics of love. Let's go to Lukenbach, Texas. Have you ever been to Lukenbach, Texas? Uh, I have. Texas is so big. I'm, I'm actually not sure where Lukenbach is, to be <laughs> honest. But um, yeah, so this is. Uh, that title by uh, Waylon Jennings, um, and I, I mean, I I hate to say I first knew Waylon Jennings from uh, the Dukes of Hazard, where he was the balladeer and narrator. Um, there was only, I guess, one episode that featured him, which the episode was called "Welcome Waylon Jennings," and that was during the seventh season, and he played himself, and he was presented as an old friend friend of the Duke family. Oh, yeah. Him and Jesse used to make moonshine or something, right? Yeah. And he, he wrote the song, The Good Old Boys, uh, you know, that was the theme song to the show. Um, but he was part of the, uh, the movement known as the, uh, the Country Outlaw Movement, which was um, Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, and uh, David Allen Coe, who were, you know, they were commercially successful but kind of breaking away from the country music scene yeah. well i you know if you add johnny cash to that you get uh, the highway men which i really liked back in the 90s yeah so, uh they're really good and pbs runs their uh concert from uh 
the Nassau Coliseum uh, from maybe it's from the 80s, but uh, it's pretty good. So they're all. And then uh, at the end of the song, his buddy uh, Willie Nelson uh, comes in and finishes off. He might even be singing right now. I don't know. So <laughs> yeah. So was that the Funky Nassau Coliseum? The Funky Nassau Coliseum. <laughs> I never, I never went to the Nassau Coliseum to see the the, the Islanders. You know, I've, I had friends that grew up on Long Island, that saw um, lots of Islanders games. You know, Mike Bossy, all those Stanley Cups. Yeah, I saw them play uh, our our local team in, you, in an away game. You went down there? Oh wow! I did go down there. It was it was a nice uh, nice place back then too. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, um, we're on to. Uh, Number 37. Well, this is Rita Coolidge. On AM Records, your love has lifted me higher and higher. Big song. Yeah. Good song. Big song. Good song. Um, as Casey said, this was a cover of an old Jackie Wilson song from 1967. Um, really good. Really great vocal. Nice synth. Um, this one went up to number two on the charts. And I remember this being all over the radio back then. Um, I guess Rita Coolidge was discovered um, by Delaney and Bonnie, who worked with her in Los Angeles. And uh, she became a backing singer for a bunch of artists. Joe Cocker, Leon Russell, Harry Chapin, Bob Dylan, Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, Dave Mason, Graham Nash. Um, and she was featured in Joe Cocker's Mad Dogs and Englishman tour album. Um, and she wrote uh co-wrote the song superstar for the carpenters which she um did not receive credit for yeah and also she didn't receive songwriting credits for the piano uh, coda in layla by eric clapton so apparently uh clapton slow hand he's also slow to give credit (laughs) (laughs) but kind of interesting right because uh Avon Elliman also backed vocals for Eric Clapton. So I wonder if these two crossed paths. Oh, I'm sure they did. Yeah. 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 So, all right. Well, we are on to number 36. Now, these songs here, 40, 39, 38, 37, 36, were all debuts this, uh, this week. And uh, and this artist is from Australia, according to Casey. <laughs> yeah, I think I mistakenly said something about Canada last week. Um, but uh, yeah, this is Helen Reddy and uh, You're My World. Um, so she was, of course, in the, our previous countdown with, and she had the hit with uh, the Jesus Christ Superstar. I don't know how to love him. Um, 
this one, it's on the edge of sap for me. Um, the tempo and vocals pick up a little bit, and there's a decent music interlude here, but uh, yeah. Well, one interesting thing that Casey was talking about, how Helen came over and she, she was scraping by and, and they had a, uh, she was able to, to like do a couple of gigs and then she, they had this party where they made 35 bucks, you know, so she could eat for the next week. But there was a party crash there um, named Jeff Whale. And uh, I spelled his name W-H-A-L-E. I don't know if that's right. <laughs> but, uh, but four days later, you know, so he was an aspiring producer. Four days later, uh, he asked her to get married, and they got married. And you know, I don't know if they lived happily ever after, but uh, you know, she was yeah. woman, she was strong, and she was married to Jeff Wall. Yeah, so. <laughs> and um, I, I have to point out, you were right because I think you thought she had her own variety show, and it, it turns out, yeah, she in 1973, it was a summer replacement series for the Flip Wilson show. No way! Yeah. Wow. And she also appeared all over the place on um, the Carol Burnett show, the Muppet show, uh, a lot during the 70s. Um, she passed away uh, in uh, September 2020 at the age of 78. So yeah. Yeah, rest in peace. All right. So we're going to go from Australia to Sweden. 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 <laughs> Remember those that old Milwaukee commercials thirty years ago? Yeah. <laughs> how, how, how do you advertise a crappy beer? Well, you get the Swedish bikini team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how I thought of that. Yeah. Well, the the Sweden thing because I was wondering where you're going. I, I was racking my brain because uh, this is, of course, ABBA. Uh, knowing me, knowing you. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh huh. Yeah, and so they were Swedish, but they weren't in those commercials. I don't believe. Uh, but, How can you um, get any better than this? Isn't that yeah. what they used to say? Something like yeah. that. Something like that. Doesn't it doesn't get any better than that? Yeah. yeah. But um, amazingly, this is the first time we've heard ABBA in the charts. Considering, um, of course, I mean, they were through episode six. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, they're. Uh, you know, there are four members of a Swedish pop group formed in Stockholm in 1972. Agatha Foxgog, Bjorn Jolveus, I'm butchering them, Benny Anderson, I can say that, and Anna Frid Lingstad. And they, they used their uh, initial ABBA for their name. Um, I thought they were higher, but uh, the information I had is they were the 60th best-selling artists in the U.S. in the 1970s. Really? And it's maybe they were low. bigger worldwide. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean... Well, they didn't start until the mid-70s anyway. Yeah, so. but I mean, they had 10 top 40 hits, uh, 40 of those in the top 10, and uh, a number one with uh, Dancing Queen in 1977 as well. So, um, you know, I... I wasn't a fan back then, but they, they may have grown on me a little bit as time goes by. Yeah. Well, our next, uh, our next song, number 34, is from a, a gentleman from England, and I wrote down next to the song, Busy.
this busy or what? This is funky. So this is uh, Slow Down by John Miles. Um, I didn't remember this one, but man, it got me right away with the bongos and violins and funky synthesizer. I would I would have rather had this been at number 40 to start the countdown. Yeah, yeah. And it's also <laughs> so. got the, the voice box uh, guitar sound at, uh, at one point, a la Peter Frampton. Yeah, and Aerosmith. And... I don't want to be offensive or anything, but this guy's a Caucasian. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have thought so. But... Well, he's from England, you know. A lot yeah. of people for, are from England. Yeah, a lot of people that aren't from there are from there. That's right. That's right. So, uh, yeah, um, this is a this is a good song. He this guy toured with uh, Elton John. Um, I'm in the seventies. And uh, this song is off of an album called Stranger in the City. Well, there you go. There's, there's your clavinet solo. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is that a clavinet? Uh, could be, yeah. yeah. Those were kind of big in the 70s. Yeah. Nice and upbeat. I like it. Yeah. Oh, there's your, uh, there's your talk box. Right? Yep. <laughs> Man, slow down. All right, on to uh on to number thirty-three. You know, talk about four songs in a row that are totally different. You're my world, knowing me, knowing you, slow down, and now Hollywood by um, by Shaka Khan with Rufus, or Rufus with Shaka Khan. What a what a what a great bunch of stuff in a row. You know? Yeah, yeah, quite quite diverse, I, I must say. Um, yeah, Shaka Khan, let me love you, let me love you, Shaka Khan. <laughs> this yeah. this is a decent uh, soul song. Uh, yeah. Rufus featuring Shaka Khan was like a really respected group in the 70s and 80s although a lot of it um it, it was shaka khan's uh vocals that did it for him um but uh, they had a great band um and of course uh, shaka khan was the inspiration for the the villain in the 1982 motion picture star trek to the wrath of khan <laughs> okay <laughs> I'm going to sneak something in there every once in a while to keep you awake. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, you know what? We're going to go, we're going to, you know, we talked about four songs in a row. This is another uh, crossover uh, song. And, uh, and this is, this is, uh, this is a great song. Number, uh, number This is, of course, Glenn Campbell. His folks were dirt farmers in Arkansas. And uh, Casey was talking about how with 11 children to feed, it was kind of tough. But they were still able to uh, afford to get him out of the Sears and Bucks Row uh, catalog a mini guitar because the older brothers had the real full-size one. And, and uh, it was a very happy ending for 
uh, Glenn's folks and the family because he built them a big giant house across from the dirt farm. Something like that, right, Mark? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, putting myself, don't realize how good a guitarist Glenn Campbell was. He was um, part of the, uh, you know, a group of studio musicians called the Wrecking Crew. And um, there's some videos out there. Maybe I'll, I'll put some in the show notes of, of just showing his prowess with the guitar. He, he was phenomenal. You know, he got that guitar when he was five years old, and he must have just played and played and played. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is a nice song. You know, it, this one, he liked it because it reminded him of his childhood in, in rural Arkansas. And... Um, yeah, it, it was a huge hit. Well, what's interesting is I, I hear the banjo in the background, and, and I heard when I left church on Sunday, American Top 40, and, and it was Ray Stevens' Misty. I think it was Misty, or the, the banjo. And uh, I don't remember that song. We'll, we'll get to that episode in a couple mm. years. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's, uh, you know, great song, great artist, and, uh, and he's... Uh, Someone uh, that we just recently lost. Yeah, yeah. TV show also. Yeah, and I I remember watching this TV show, and it was I liked it. It was good. Yeah, we're on to number uh, number thirty one. We are now going to go over the pond and go back to England. You ready? All right. All right. So here's a guy, Peter Frampton, writing a song called I'm In You. <laughs> Tell me about it, because I have lots of things to talk about this song. <laughs> OK, well. Um, uh, so this. All right. Let me, is... let, me, let me let me keep it going a little bit. Hang on. Okay. Make sure I'm still OK. There we go. There we go. So, okay. so he wrote this uh, came out with this and he was under a lot of pressure from producers to uh you know match the sales success of frampton comes alive um this one is the highest frampton ever climbed in the charts this one went to number two um and frampton said despite of what you might think he's talking about he meant it uh, being in someone in the spiritual sense uh mm. But, um, yeah, um, a lot of stations wouldn't play this because they thought it was too racy. Well, that's interesting because I have someone else here that that has a thought about this. All right. I I, I think I know who it is. (laughs) And so this was Halloween. Check this out. How How do you rationalize the appearance of an album entitled I'm in you. <laughs> I mean, what? What? What is that? Is that guy kidding? <laughs> so that was a bit from Frank Zappa in New York City in 1977, you know, just five months later at his Halloween show talking about uh, uh, 
that guy is that guy kidding and then and then later on um the next year well hang on so this is uh something else that frank says i mean you i mean you i mean you you. (laughs) (laughs) all right and so that was in his his little stick called is that guy kidding or what and then the next year at the because he went to new york city every halloween yeah here we go so he composed the song that was the next year uh and it's uh it's called i have been in you <laughs> all right and so this was 1978 and then uh the next year so the next year this this was the first cut off of the two uh, record lp shake your booty and uh so when i saw this on the on the count i'm like okay i gotta go to my collection and so it's it's funny i kind of read your mind because i had all this written down um, but i figured you'd get to <laughs> yeah i i mean personally i think this was a, a weak outing by peter frampton uh but um, well it, it you know it took peter frampton decades to recover from this and, yeah uh, and even though he he was childhood friends with with David Bowie growing up and he was, and he was on the tonight record or the glass spider tour in the late eighties, you know, that's where David Bowie kind of fell off the wheels and everyone, I mean, even though David Bowie was always doing neat things, he was now doing neat things that weren't neat anymore. Mm. Um, (laughs) You know, so, so uh, uh, it's just interesting that, uh, you know, Peter Frampton from England and Mr. Zappa. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> All right, now now we're going to cross the border, my friend, and we're going to go. Uh, we're going to go up to. Uh, I think this is where we want to go. Do you want to go up to Quebec? We'll go to Quebec. So you might think that this is the Ray Conte orchestra, but it is Maynard Ferguson. And uh, do you have any notes about Maynard Ferguson? Yeah, so this this is, of course, uh, the theme from Rocky, Gonna Fly Now. But this is uh, Maynard, Ver- excuse me, Maynard Ferguson's uh, pop Maynard, Maynard Hempley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's a popped-up jazzy version. To me, a little reminiscent of the Brass Bonanza, perhaps. But um, it also has an awesome bongo interlude um, and heavy on the jazzy horns. Um, this guy, Maynard Ferguson, is, is like a legendary jazz player. He supposedly could play higher than any trumpeter uh, up to this point in jazz history. And he was uh, a very accurate player. Um, and um, there it goes. He's from Canada, you know, Quebec. 
So, well, do you have anything else? Because I got a whole bunch to fill in here. Um, the, the only other thing is, um, this is off the Conquistador album, which um, also included a cover of the theme from Star Trek. That's right. Because I have that record. Oh, you okay? do. And I have probably eight or nine Maynard Ferguson LPs because everyone that was in, in band and played the trumpet, all right, back in elementary school and high school back in the 70s, all, all the nerds loved Maynard Ferguson. I seen Maynard Ferguson four or five times. Really? Right? Wow. And I have, when I went to see him in Bristol at Lake Compounds, all right, I bought a hat. And if, if, you, if you're watching on Channel 18 right now, I'm wearing it. Okay, it's a baseball hat, and um, and our friend Jim W, who, who I was talking about with with who, who grew up in in another town, uh, which is where the two New Britain came from. Um, yeah, this is it. Okay, let's. See. So he was at the same concert in Bristol. Ah. So, uh, but uh. I do have all this, and if you want, maybe I can rip the records because yes, Star Trek is on there, and it's not the uh, Bill Murray version of Star Trek or Star Wars, whatever. So. <laughs> Star Wars, yeah. <laughs> but wow, I didn't, I, I wouldn't have thought that. So, did you play trumpet in? Uh... I started with the trumpet. It's out in my garage, and then they needed a, a tuba player, so I played the, the tuba, the sousaphone. Oh, yeah, so. just uh, don't try to play uh, Flight of the Bumblebee, or you'll blow your liver out. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what that's from but it, it sounds funny <laughs> yeah. all right. okay all right but uh, wow that, those horns were like fabulous though. oh yeah no they're great records. Away by that yeah Th those those records he did on columbia records back then it's great and, and i tell you one of the one of my favorite songs that he did and and, and i love the song is uh is stony end um which uh, Barbara Streisand made a big song. My favorite Barbara Streisand songs, and his record, his version on that on MF Horn One or MF Horn Two, I forget which one it is, is is fantastic. Anyhow, so we're up to uh, up to number uh, number twenty nine, and uh, we heard this uh, young lady from Hawaii in our countdown last week. Well, we kind of talked about her last week. This is Yvonne Ullman, Hello Stranger. This is a cover, I believe. And uh, you got any uh, any data on this? Um, nice yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to look here. I didn't um, have a lot. Well, we went we went a lot over on I'm in you, or I'm in you, or I've been in you. So <laughs> yeah, um, she just you know just. Going back to what I when I was talking about uh, Rita Coolidge, I, I don't know if we mentioned that. Uh, yeah, Von Elliman you know, yeah. did backing on "I Shot the Sheriff" with uh, Clapton, and um, well, she, was she was also on slow hands. Yeah, and yeah. she was also uh, on uh, John Lord from Deep Purple's uh, album "Gemini Suite" in 1971. Mm. Um, and this was closer to her appearance on the uh, Hawaii Five-O episode. <laughs> as well so but uh yeah kind of cool that she was in uh in two countdowns in a row here yeah all right well we're gonna find our way down to philadelphia all right ever been to philadelphia i have not actually oh yeah i've been there it's nice 
Now, when this song starts, you never know who these guys are. Yeah, sounds a little like a beginning to a like top TV show or something in the seventies. Whose voice is that? I know who that is. But who's yeah. this? Yeah, so these are, um, this is uh, Daryl Hall and back together again. Um, I don't remember this one, but it's good. Um, th- this one was written by John Oates. Uh, it's soulful. Um, I don't, I don't know if we talked about it before, but um, the Live from Daryl's House series. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, great. That's really great. Uh, the one with the OJs was was my favorite episode. Not OJ. The, the OJs. Uh, you guys from Ohio. No, not the Ohio players. I don't know where. No. I where think the, the OJs, OJs were from, from Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. yeah, they're part of the yeah. Gamble and Hawk group or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But this Mitt was. Madden and Whitehead, also from Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, a lot of music came out of there. Um, this was off the Bigger Than Both of Us album, which uh, also had uh, Rich Girl, okay. which was a big hit for these guys. So, yeah. still, and uh, yeah, yeah, still playing music, these guys. That's right. And, uh, you know, there was a guy, I think, in, in the plant, the Building Four plant, that I used to call Oats, because he looked <laughs> just like Oats. He was a little guy with a big, giant mustache. You know uh, who I'm talking about? I think I, yeah, I don't remember the name, but I think I know who you're talking about. Um, might have worked in the calibration lab. You could have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I called him Oats. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> you and your nicknames. <laughs> uh, but but now Oats, you know, the real Oats doesn't have his mustache. No. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Now we're going to go over to New um, New Jersey or someplace close to there. All right, you ready? Yeah. Number number twenty-seven. Way on the other side of the Hudson, deep in the bosom of suburbia, I met a young girl. She sang mighty fine. Tears on my pillow and Ave Maria. Standing by the waterfall Grandma's car She was working for the friends Of the AI She was collecting the waters In a paper cup She was looking for change And so was I <laughs> Alright, I'm not going to ruin it All I know is that This guy is still around And um, What do you think? Yeah, so this is uh, Ariel by Dean Friedman. Um, it's it's a nostalgic song about a suburban teenage love, and it's supposed to take place in Paramus, New Jersey, which is where this uh, guy Dean uh, grew up. Um, this kind of makes sense to me because I think it sort of sounds like the you know Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. Oh yeah. Kind of, so that you know that they made that Jersey Boys uh, musical about them, and uh, but uh, yeah, this was uh, his uh, first hit single, uh, Dean Friedman. Um, Did he have any more? Um, 
I don't think it so. was his only hit in America. Um, he did better in the UK at a song called Lucky Stars mm-hmm. that made number three and Lydia number okay. 31. Um, What'd you say in Libya? Lydia. Oh, Lydia. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. I oh, he was huge being in played Libya. on radio. Qaddafi oh, loved them. Radio <laughs> <laughs> Boy, we're really going off the rails this week. Oh my gosh. All right. We're gonna we're gonna go to number twenty-six, my friend. We're, we're right. gonna lose the last thirty listeners we have. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> number twenty-six. Oh, now we're going to Australia and uh, one of the biggest hit makers of the late seventies, a little brother of the Bee Gees. Um, you know, he can thank his big brothers to helping him out, writing his songs, doing his production. And uh, tragic end, but uh, burn bright. So, yeah. so this was uh, Andy Gibb, and I Just Want to Be Your Everything. Um, huge song back then. I remember this being on the radio all the time. Uh, so this one was written by Big Brother Barry. Um, and this was first uh, the first of three number one singles for Andy Gibb, um, which made him uh, the first male solo artist with three consecutive number one singles in the U.S. Um, the, the, the others were uh, Love is Thicker Than Water, um, which was released the same time the Bee Gees were scoring the huge hits from Saturday Night Fever, which came out uh, later in this year of 1977. Um, and uh, yep, and his next song. single was Shadow Dancing, which he wrote with his brothers. Um, I mean, reading this is like a mini disco history lesson, you know? Yeah, yeah. so well, anyhow, we are going to uh, we're going to go to the disco right now, and the disco is going to be in the cafeteria of in, in your school. Well, we've uh, we've had these folks on our countdown before. This is the Silvers with a Y, and uh, this is the high school dance. You never have to worry about the high school dance. <laughs> it's not. This is a this has got a funky dance groove to it. So even if you couldn't dance, it might make you wanna. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but um, of course, yeah, they were on uh, in an earlier episodes with uh, "Boogie Fever" in 1975, which was a really good song. Um, and uh, "Hotline" was a, another top ten that they had uh, in uh, 1976. So, yeah, good song. I, I I was surprised they showed up in the charts again as well. But yeah, good. All right, on to number 24. I wrote down next to this, yuck. <laughs> Somewhere back in time. All right. You became <laughs> Are you done? So this is, yeah, so this is Kenny Nolan, uh, Love's Grown Deep, and uh, you wrote Yuck, I wrote, uh (laughs) 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 (la
Oh, sap. Um, <laughs> and, and I, I, we may have to clarify like your yuck and ug and, and the other ones you use in terms of what, <laughs> where they fall, but um, uh, I don't want to use your quote again about the uh, harmonica like the last time. <laughs> you already shut it off. That's, it's done. But but anyway, oh. real quick, this guy Kenny Nolan, he was a talented songwriter other than this. Um, he, he wrote Disco Texas Get Dancing, Patti LaBelle's Lady Marmalade, and Frankie Valley's My Eyes Adore You. So, so not, you know, Lady Marmalade's a great song. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. All right. Well, what's interesting is that Casey was saying how this gentleman, Mr. Kenny Nolan, and the next uh, uh, person on the chart was also a uh, <clears throat> a writer of of pop songs. And this is number twenty three. And um, what's interesting is is that Kenny Nolan here and our next artist, Peter McCann, they're both on the label Twentieth Century. Okay, so this is uh, Do You Want to Make Love by Peter McCann. And I I wrote, uh oh, more sap. So, same record label. Same level yeah. of sappiness. Yeah, but this this guy here, he, he's from Bridgeport, Connecticut. Yeah, according to Casey. According to Casey, so I went and I wanted to read a little bit more. He he won a Glee Club College scholarship from a Jesuit from the Jesuit priest to a small Catholic college in Fairfield, Connecticut. Is that where your father went? I was going to say, do you know who else went to that college? Yeah, my father. It's, yeah. it's Fairfield University. That's right. But, <laughs> but the great guy... thing about your father, okay, is not only did he meet Gordie Howe, where Gordie Howe tried to strangle him, but when, <laughs> when your father was on the basketball team, he played against Bob Cousy, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, my father was on the first... Uh, Fairfield University basketball team team played against Bob Cousy and they got killed because Cousy played for uh, Holy Cross. Holy Cross, and yeah, they were powerhouses back then. Um, so this guy, he wrote Jennifer Warren's pot, uh, "The Right Time of the Night." So yeah. did really sappy songs, but they they were good songwriters for other people. Yeah. Well, the other thing is is about your father, and you know, I I don't think I ever met your father. Maybe at graduation, you know, as a hello or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, <clears throat> your father was also on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's uh, it's not as exciting as it seems, but yeah, there was a the, the Boston Celtics would play uh, a small series of home games in our our town here in southern New England. And uh, a picture was taken for Sports Illustrated, and it shows Larry Bird. And below Larry Bird's knees, my father's sitting courtside, blurry, with his uh, hand over his mouth. <laughs> but I have an autographed uh, copy of it with, from Larry Bird, so it's, it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> was your father a scorer, or was he just there, you know, to... to, 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 to my my father some, somehow 
got into the civic center entourage and i'm not really sure what he did he, he claimed he was a consultant i think he maybe did a few things and 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 got in for free <laughs> wow well i can't believe we talked over the whole thing because we had casey bleeding through here so yeah. uh, uh-huh. but anyhow i kind of talked about this uh this young lady uh in our uh our uh number uh 30 song um but we're gonna go on to number two two all right we've had barbara streisand on our our, our countdown before and she's she's gonna show up almost every year and uh big star you know I think this was for a movie, wasn't it? Or I forget, because what Casey was talking about was at the time, her, Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra were the only people that had number one songs and an Academy Award. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's correct. Um, I think probably Cher would join join them later because she got an Oscar for Moonstruck. Um, What was her number one song, though? Cher's number one song? Good, good question. I don't know off the top of my head. I assume she had a number one though. Uh, oh yeah, maybe, maybe that with that disco stuff she did in the two thousands. Yeah. Uh, or but, when she was on that on the battleship, that song. Yeah, but yeah. I just I it's sort of a side note here. It's funny in the. In, before we started recording, you said, who's Bing Crosby? Nobody knows. So I got to add something here because Casey talked about how Bing Crosby, he won the Academy Award for playing a priest and going my way. So when Bing Crosby died, which I think was somewhere in the the mid to late 70s here. 1977. Oh, okay. So uh, a couple of my friends, they went to the Polish Catholic school in in town and when Bing Crosby died they said in class the teacher brought like several of the kids up to the front of the room and was asking them who Bing Crosby was and they figured oh it's got to be something important so they were guessing like secretary of state or something (laughs) like that (laughs) and it's only because he played a priest in a movie he wasn't even Catholic oh I thought he was Catholic (laughs) No, I don't think. Yeah, he went to Gonzaga. Did he? Yeah, he's Catholic. He went to Gonzaga. Yeah. I I, I, oh, I apologize then for Dean Crosby. (laughs) And then his brother, you know, there's always a brother. Uh, His brother Bob Crosby. So, uh, who was the uh, after? Now I'm going to go go back a long time. After, uh, um, uh, he was the band leader on Jack Benny's radio program. After uh, uh, Harris uh, uh, left, uh, what the heck is it? Oh my! God, I'm having a brain fart right now. But uh, Phil Harris. So Phil uh-huh. Harris was the was the band leader for many years, and then Bob Crosby was in for the for the end. But it's it's like you know you got these brothers like like uh, Frank Stallone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Anyhow, that was number two, two, and uh, we're gonna go on to number 21. And uh, you ready? Yeah, so these guys, 
their last hit, according to Casey, was in 1959. So that was like 18 years before this, which is, doesn't seem like a long time when you're our age, but, you know. Yeah. So what do, what do you remember about this one? So I, re- I remember this. Uh, to me, the melody of this sounds a lot like the Jive Talking by the Bee Gees. But, um, yeah, these guys uh, are best remembered today for their early uh, 70s uh, Columbia hit, We've Got to Get It On Again. Um, and they they also wrote um, the song that was done by the Association and the Fifth Dimension, Never My Love. Yeah, but how could that be? You talked about a show from the early uh, song, and, and Casey was saying their last hit was in 1959. I don't remember the one that you just talked about, unless yeah. it was on the Soul Chart. Yeah, maybe. Good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but um, yeah, they were uh, their parents were part of a acrobatic act. But uh, the, these two brothers, Don the flying and flying Dick, yeah, yeah, they, uh, <laughs> Don and Dick, uh, they chose music as a career uh, with his help from comedian Lenny Bruce, who was a oh, fan, wow. I guess. Um, and, uh, yeah, so well, Lenny Bruce was around in 1959, that's for sure. So, yeah. so we're on to number 20, and this is a cover, and we had his big half brother on with his real mother last week. Uh, in last week's countdown from 1971 or whatever that was. Yeah. All right. This is, um, this is Sean Cassidy, the do run run. I remember listening to Casey talk about um, how uh, in another uh, American Top 40, how uh, Sean Cassidy wanted to go out and be a rock and roll star. And his father's like, ah, and, and he did it, playing little clubs and stuff. And then his father burned to death, um, <laughs> so, uh, which is a terrible story. But um, I mean, Sean Cassidy, big, big uh uh, big teenage heartthrob, uh, Joe Hardy on the Hardy Boys, uh, that was also on ABC with yeah. Parker yeah. Stevenson, who turned seventy years old earlier in the week. Oh, wow. in the newspaper. So, yeah, Sean Cassidy went on. I didn't realize it to become a you know successful TV producer um, as well. You know, this song. Uh, <laughs> one of the reasons I remember it was. Uh, because, yeah, being in grammar school at the time, I think there were jokes about getting diarrhea. <laughs> oh, but the, I guess the song was uh, originally produced by Phil Spector. It, it's, it's, this is a cover. Oh, and, this is a cover, yeah. 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 And uh, the do ron ron came from, like, just these nonsense syllables they stuck in as filler because they didn't have any real lyrics. Or was it, stuff. you know, to do ron Ronnie Spector? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, perhaps, but um, it was originally yeah. recorded by the Crystals in 1963, with okay. a Darlene Love claim that she was on the lead vocal, but that's disputed. Uh, so there's a whole story about that. But uh, yeah, all right. Well, we know for sure that that was Sean Cassidy, Sean Cassidy. With, his, with his feathered haircut. <laughs> so. Yeah. So now we're going to go to a guy who uh, who used to have a mustache, kind of like Oats, and he shaved it off a number of years ago, and. And we're going to go have a, a margarita. Blue sponge cake. 
watching the sun bake. All of those tourists. So this song has been beaten to death, not as much as number 17. Um, <laughs> but uh, we haven't even got there yet. <laughs> but uh, you know, this is still this this song still makes me happy. I've seen Jimmy Buffett a number of times because I had a bunch of friends that were parrotheads, and and you know we'd uh, we'd have a good time going to the shows because he plays eight songs that everyone knew, you know, by heart. And uh, uh, guys made a lot of money with his with his beer and his restaurants and his margarita mix and it's Jimmy Buffett. This is off of changes in latitudes, changes in attitudes, and uh, great entertainer, big part of the big part of the culture. He's got his own channel on XM radio. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, same. I like this song other than, like you said, it's just, uh, don't, can't imagine how many times I've heard it, but uh, the one, the line in here where he says he stepped on a pop top, I used to think it was a pop rock, but, but he's talking about a pop top, which were the, you know, when the cans used to have the top that it would come off with the tab. Right, right. And so you, and then he, you know, he cut his heel on it, and he required to head back home to get a margarita. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so he went from a beer to. A but I, but I guess those pop tops caused a, a, a litany of uh, minor injuries back then. That's yeah. kind of why they came up with the the one that uh, you know stayed in. Yeah. So we're on to. Uh... We're on to number 18. Uh, we had him on a few weeks ago, but for, for some reason, uh, he didn't make the uh, my audio. So uh, here we go. Is that your 70s flugelhorn? <laughs> Looking just the same as you did last time I touched you. All right, this is Barry Manilow. This is Looks Like We Made It. And... Um, Barry Manilow started off being uh, the conductor, kind of like Phil Harris for Jack Benny, but he was the conductor and arranger for Bette Mittler. Well, what do you got on him? Anything? Because I don't want to spend too much time. Yeah, no, nah, just I, I kind of put this as uh, ugg sappy. The, the only thing I'll say is um, I was recently watching a WKRP in Cincinnati marathon. And uh, I, I like that show, and I think it still holds up. But uh, at one point, they, they were threatening to fire Johnny Fever, and he, and he was like trying to save his job. And he's like, "I'll do anything. I'll play the Carpenters. I'll play Barry Manilow." <laughs> so. Well, little did you know, in in twenty five years from from then, all right, that uh, that would be used in a commercial, all right, for Chevrolet, and it starts out as a dystopia. And there's everything is 2012 mine eclipse of World War End today's on the newspaper. And uh, but but here comes the Chevy out of the rubble. And the guy driving it He's got a dog in the back seat. There's a big boy burning up, you know, from Abdos Big Boy. And he's driving around all this stuff where the big spaceship has crashed. And here comes, you know, it's right out of. Oh, here comes another Chevy Silverado. It's three guys driving Chevys and a guy eating Twinkies. Dave didn't drive the longest lasting, most dependable truck on the road. Dave drove a Ford. So Dave didn't survive because he drove a Ford. <laughs> and, 
Yeah. And so now they're eating Twinkies. And here comes the frogs from the sky. So. Yeah, yeah I didn't. Uh, I didn't recognize that right away when you, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, after I watched it, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that one. That was, that was yeah. really funny. <laughs> so that's, so we were brought to you by General Motors and, and Chevrolet trucks because uh, they'll, they'll last. I have a Chevrolet, but my Chevrolet hasn't run since the Trump administration. So I gotta, <laughs> all right. Now, now we're on to number 17 and, and, you know, um, we can yeah. just play a snippet if you want. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to play it. On a dark desert highway, All right. I wrote down, I hate this song. <laughs> yeah. I, I got, I, I've almost never heard this. <laughs> so this is uh, of course, hotel California by the Eagles. Um, went to number one. Uh, I don't know. I, what I read is, uh, you know, a lot of people want to carve out the song and it's, it's really just supposed to be about materialism and excess, uh, particularly, you know, with California as the setting. Yeah. Um, and then we've all heard it. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, part of pop culture. I can understand your, uh, tiredness of it. Yeah. All right. Number 16. So, Casey said that this fella is English and Australian, kind of like the Bee Gees and ACDC. Do you know who this is? So, this is Leo Sayre, and this song is When I Need You. So, um, did you know, Casey talked about uh, the song. It was kind of interesting. Did you have uh, comments on that or uh, you want no, to re- fill it in? Help, help me understand. Help me remind me. Yeah. yeah so he said, um, he talks about this guy, the hit doctor, Richard Perry, who, who reinvigorated a lot of careers by producing big singles. Um, he did Barbra Streisand's Stony End. Well, I talked about that before, yeah. Yeah. Um, Ringo Starr's Photograph and Carly Simon's You're So Vain mm-hmm. and uh, Harry Nielsen Without You. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, he helped out Leo Sarah with this one. Um, yeah. Well, Leo Sarah knew how to write songs. I think he wrote every song on, on if I remember correctly, on uh, Roger Daltrey's. Uh, uh, debut solo record. Oh, really? If I remember, if I heard that correctly, years ago. Yeah, and uh, he, of course, he also had the big hit um, in the '70s with uh, "You Make Me Feel Like Dancing." Like dancing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I saw a photograph of him on uh, on the Wikipedia. He looked like Brad Davis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a Brad Davis. Uh, who was the Who was the exercise guy? <laughs> Had the same hairdo. Oh, uh, the, the guy that wears the, the, the uh, oh my gosh. People are yelling at their podcast machines right now because they're coming up with the name. You know who we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Richard Simmons. Richard Simmons. <laughs> yeah, you look like Richard Simmons. Yeah. All right. Well, the next song is uh, is number 15 and, and, 
as as number 17 was going down, this one was going uh, going up five weeks on the chart. I don't hate this song as much as the other one, but it's, I think it's on the same LP. Right? Yeah. So, this is Life in the Fast Lane by, excuse me, by the Eagles. Yep. So this one, um, this was the first album with uh, the new guitarist, Joe Walsh, who helped write this song. I kind of think Joe Walsh was like the best part. Um, but... Uh, this one also is kind of misinterpreted. It's not supposed to be glamorized, style, but warning about the dangers of excesses, uh, drugs, etc. Um, the song was rumored to be about Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham of, of Fleetwood Mac fame. Um, they, you know, they broke up, and then um, uh, Sticks, Stevie Nicks uh, later dated. Uh, Don Henley. Okay, uh, I she broke up with something about Holmes, sticks. So. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> that, that was a, an audio glitch. <laughs> if we had good audio, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's funny. All right. Number 14. This is off of uh, Capricorn Records. So, those of you that know your record labels, you know what kind of music this is. I ain't Well, this is the Marshall Tucker Band, Heard in Love Song, number 14, Capricorn Records. It's on its way up, um, I believe. Yeah, uh, been on the chart 14 weeks. What's what's your uh, remembrance of this song? Yeah, so this um this actually is as high as it got, but it was um the Marshall Tucker Band's biggest hit on the pop charts. Um, I, this is one I always misheard the lyrics. I could have sworn they were saying "pretty little love song," you know, like P U R D Y not heard it in a love song what's a pretty (laughs) you know like pretty oh so so that's something you heard from granny on on that beverly hillbillies yeah one thing (laughs) i remember she sure is pretty yeah one thing i remember about this song is um my brother i don't know if it was at this time or maybe a little bit later he he was living in like a cheap apartment that had thin walls and a woman was playing this song in, in another apartment. He said that's all he could hear was the bass. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw, I think it was in 1988 or 89, Toy Caldwell, who was, the, the, I think he wrote this song, but he was in the Marshall Tucker Band and he left after his brother died. Um, and he played down at, uh, at Bourbon Street. And uh, he wrote all these songs. He was great. And then this and then Toy Caldwell died not much later after that. So, yeah. Uh, but I've um, never seen the Marshall Tucker Band. I think uh, Doug Gray is still in it, you know, the lead singer and everything. Everyone else is new. Yeah, so. I, I read where um, his uh, Toy Caldwell's wife, Abby, said he, he never read music. He played all by ear. He, he jotted down words on a piece of paper if it was available. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So. <clears throat> all right, number 13. 
We're going to go flying, man. Not like, uh, what was that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. It sounded like Morse code. Oh. <laughs> trying to send you a secret message. <laughs> like, like, like our colleague's father who was in World War II who knew Morse code. And you know, you'd be watching like Hogan's Heroes and stuff, and and <laughs> and and they, you know, they'd be tapping out Morse code or or some some movie or something, and 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 his father would say, "That that's a bunch of nonsense." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so be careful, you know, TV producers, movie producers, with you know, you might have our, our former colleague Chris's father. He's probably not with us anymore. You know, deep, trying to decode your Morse code. <laughs> <laughs> it's utter nonsense. Uh, so, this, so this is a Jet Airliner by Steve Miller band. Um, so I just read, it was interesting, they said that this song was written by a guy named Paul Pena, and he was a blind folk singer from Cape Cod. And uh, he played at the Newport Folk Festival in 1969, but was unable to launch a career. Um, for much of his life, the royalties from writing this song was his only income. Um, I, the other thing about this song is he says he touches down in New England town. Did, did he land at Brainerd Airport? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Better watch out. Someone wants to close it. Yeah. <laughs> there it is but yeah. uh, also just of note the the line in the radio cut where he says uh, funky kicks going down in the city it's, it's actually something that's a naughty word that we won't say on this podcast but yeah. they had to change that for, for the radio back then radio edit you know that, that that's a good song you know I one of the first records I bought as a kid was um Steve Miller's greatest hits, and what was interesting it was that was that on Book of Dreams or was that on? Yeah, uh, Book of Dreams was was that the one where like seven songs, like the next you know five months later were were on the greatest hits, like a couple of, were one song from the Joker, Book of Dreams, uh, um, but 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 that that greatest hits record seventy four to seventy eight, like seven songs came from one of those LPs, and uh, I forget which, which one it is. Um, but anyhow, so we're going to, we're going to leave from new England town and we're going to go down to maybe, what do you think? Want to, want to go to Texas? <laughs> maybe. Excuse me. I, I can't bump you no more. <laughs> So uh, this is Joe Tex, ain't gonna bump no more, parentheses, with no big fat woman. <laughs> so we mentioned this song in a previous episode when Joe Tex came up. Um, this is his highest charted song. Um, he had the hit I Gotcha from 1972, and that was in our episode three. Um, 
So after uh, I gotcha, he took kind of a break from showbiz to travel across the country as a minister for the Nation of Islam. Um, and uh, he returned to music in 1975 and a year later recorded this novelty song, which is a, based on a dance called The Bump, which I remember girls uh, in my like sixth grade or seventh grade class doing the bump at the high school dance <laughs> no I, well i wasn't in high school then, so yeah. Uh, yeah but um it r&b performer bobby markin uh he recorded an answer to this song um uh, on uh u.s mercury with uh, a song called i wanna bump with that big fat woman so <laughs> Well, what, what is, who's he, who does he think he is? Leonard Skinner going after Neil Young? Yeah. Oh, my God. You know? <laughs> well, because no women like Neil Young. So. Oh, that's true. Well, I got, <laughs> I got three cigars I got to give away. All right, we're going to go up to number 11. And uh, I did not remember the song. And then I think I did remember the song. You think I'm such a fool yeah. to believe everything you say is true. So this has been on the chart for 17 weeks, and it's from uh, labels Big Tree, and uh, it's, the artist is hot, and this is, I, I think it's a good song. Um, yeah. Is it sap? I think it's a little above sap. No, no. I think it's got enough sort of soulfulness and, and feeling in it. Um, this uh, this was a trio um, hot. Uh, they um, they were working as uh, backup singers at Wolfman Jack's show. And uh, it's uh, Gwen Owens and Kathy Carson, and they teamed up with uh, Juanita Curie. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, who'd been working in uh, a Las Vegas act, um, and "hot" was uh, Kathy's catchphrase, which uh, which is how they chose the name. Um, this song was originally recorded in country style, and it was uh, recorded uh, at the Muscle uh, Shoals Studio, um, but they they changed it into a more soulful ballad, and it became a big hit. So. Um... You talk about Wolfman Jack, and you know I, I ran into O.J. Simpson, but I didn't meet him. But my <laughs> sister actually met Wolfman Jack at a bar um, or a, a hotel when she was working for an insurance company, and she would go out to Elmira, and uh, Wolfman Jack was like plying the room there, you know, selling something, and and uh, she met she met Wolfman Jack. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, I hope I got that story right, uh, sister. So, anyhow, we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. So, uh, all right, we're on to uh, top ten, Sire Records, which is where uh, Talking Heads would wind up uh, a few years later, and I think also uh, the Smiths. Drifted, 
there's the hook. Is this the hook? There you go. There's the hook. Couldn't yeah. get it right. Climax Blues Band. I, I got nothing. Yeah, so this, uh, I remember this one. This is a good song, kind of catchy. I, this is one of those that I never really paid close attention to the lyrics to. And um, I guess it's a song about being on the road in America. And, and the band said they're looking for a sign in the middle of the night is about looking for the old uh, Holiday Inn hotel signs. Because it's that moment you saw that, you knew you were going to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> so well, are, these guys, are these guys from England? Because I can say couldn't get it right where they're driving on the left. Yeah, yeah, they they were, and uh, yeah, but um, this one got to number three, and it was uh, their first big hit. And they had been recording since 1968. They had released eight albums previous to this, so um, that's some hot wax. Yeah. All right. Well, run away to uh, number nine by uh, big, big, big guy. Music is a word within itself. There's a language we all understand. You're going to like this because there's a harmonica. <laughs> Any bongos? Of course, this is Stevie Wonder, and this is uh, Sir Duke. I believe it's about Duke Ellington. I yeah. didn't look anything up. I just remember it, you know, muscle memory. So. Yeah, that's uh, correct. Um, uh, Duke Ellington was apparently a big influence on Stevie Wonder. Um, so he wrote this song to honor him. Um, he, Duke Ellington passed away in 1974. Um, this song went to number one. Um, this is an interesting fact. The, the lead guitarist on this one is a guy by the name of Mike Sembello, who had a hit in 1983 with Maniac from Flashdance. <laughs> Not <remember>? Mike Trombetta. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this album, Songs in the Key of Life, uh, also had I Wish, which was uh, oh, a yeah. number one hit, and Isn't She Lovely? Yeah. Um, and well, uh, where where is he in the number? You know, he's got to be like number in the top five of the seventies. Oh, he he owned yeah. the seventies. Yeah. But yeah. um, this in the song they also mention um, Count Basie, uh, Glenn Miller, Satchmo, Louis Armstrong, as well as uh, Ella Fitzgerald. Um, also uh, honoring those uh, giants. How about how about Cab Calloway? <laughs> the guy you met. That's, I didn't, no, I didn't. <laughs> um, and I didn't meet Wolf and Jack either, but uh, but I did. I didn't meet that person either. All right. Anyhow, <laughs> let's 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 jump on to number eight. Uh, uh, boy, this this is put on your shirt with the big lapels. All right, <laughs> the the biggest lapels, and and unbutton it down to your navel. You know, right? What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that right there is seventies, uh, as seventies as it gets. So, so this is "Undercover Angel" by Alan O'Day. 
Um, yeah. So, so this one went to number one, and um, it's basically a little creepy about the lonely guy that gets a visitor in the night, an undercover angel uh, who, yeah, helps him out in his sleep, I guess. But, I, wonder, uh, I wonder if he was related to Dennis Day, who was also on the Jack Benny radio program. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but um, this guy was a successful songwriter. Um, before he released this, he wrote the Bobby Sherman hit "The Drum," which was on our previous uh, countdown, oh as well as shares a uh, train of thought and the Righteous Brothers' "Rock and Roll Heaven." Well, I remember that song. I don't remember the share song. Yeah, but he also no- most notably uh, wrote the number one hit "Angie Baby" for Helen Reddy. Wow! So there you is go. It maybe it's so. Well, she's from Australia. <laughs> so, yeah, I had to look at my notes. Yeah. You're obsessed where people are from. <laughs> well, yeah, well, because Casey talks about it all the time. He it's, does. You know, it's, and it's true, okay? And because it's important to know, I know where you're from. So. <laughs> yeah, the wrong side of the tracks. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, uh, here's something uh, from someone that we lost uh I guess last year and he's uh another giant another crossover hit and um make sure i get this guy set up correctly oh no 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 no, you're going ahead i think no i I went ahead now this okay (laughs) this is this is more of the same big lapels all right feathered hair ready here we go So he'd be 71 years old now, right? Yeah. I wonder if this guy changed his name. He, but he did make music out of making music out of gold. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Here's the hook. Only Boy by Andrew Gold. Um, it's funny. The the music in the song I kind of like, and there's like a, a nice guitar solo, but the lyrics are it's it's full of self-pity. It's it's basically about the life of a child who's neglected by his parents after he's his younger sister's born. And I read this is kind of funny, many people assume it's autobiographical, but Andrew Gold says, no, it isn't. But then it's like, well, Andrew Gold was born in 1951 and and his uh, sister was born in the summer of 1953. So it matches everything. Um, I I read that Linda Ronstadt sang backing vocals on this track. I didn't hear her when I listened to it. Um, So, but, and he he sang backing vocals on... uh, on some of her stuff uh, on our well, album. Well, both on like Asylum Records. Yeah, yeah, both on Asylum Records, so, yep. which uh, was David Geffen. Was oh, one big important thing to mention, though. This guy wrote the theme song for a huge TV show that uh, our friends at the Deep Purple Podcast like. 
Oh no, not the Golden Girls. Yes, this wow. guy wrote "Thank You for Being a Friend." Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. <laughs> yeah. And he also he also sang it, didn't he? Um, yeah, I don't know if he sang. Did he sing it for the the, the TV no, no, show? No, he didn't sing it on the TV show, but he, he yeah, I think he 1979 with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Lonely yeah. boy turned out good. Yeah, but you know what? Lonely Boy is is just like, you know, Billy, don't be a hero and, you know, all that kind of stuff from nowadays. I mean, eh, okay, now we're going to get to number seven, <laughs> and I screwed up before. Crossover artist, we lost them uh, recently, and uh, uh, here we go. Here's the gambler. In a bar in Toledo, across from the deep room, on a bar stool. She took off. I thought I'd be closer, so I walked on over. Sounds like you could use some Mentos. <laughs> are, are Mentos for 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 a scratchy voice or? Um, no, they're the fresh maker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Paul's. Yeah. Okay. Or Ricola. Ricola. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Abba had Ricola. No, 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 that's Switzerland. Not yeah, Sweden. sorry. <laughs> so this so, is uh, okay. this is Lucille by Kenny Rogers. Um, this was uh, his first major solo hit uh, after leaving uh, his band, the First Edition. Um, and it's a song about an unfaithful wife who walks out on her husband and four children at an inopportune moment. Um, so, good song. Um, so, I read where Kenny Rogers' mother was named Lucille, and when she heard the song, she was she called called him and yelled at him because she thought people would think it was about her. Um, so that's pretty funny. Uh, but I, one thing I remember about this song is somebody made a joke back then. I don't know if it was on Johnny Carson or something, but like Karnak the Magnificent, or I don't know. But uh, it was like about uh, the tire coming off your car. You picked you a pick fine the time to time. leave me loose wheel. <laughs> but uh, good song, though, you know, big hit. All right. Well, now the label's Atlantic, and we're going to we're going to span the Atlantic with a band that's both from the United States and England. You know. All right. You ready? So I, uh, I recently seen something that uh, said that I saw the world's best cover band uh, recently, and the band was called Foreigner because no one did it anymore. That's original. So this is Foreigner, and the song is. Are they can say it here? There you go, Lou Graham. Is a singer, I think. I forget who the guitar player is, or maybe he's the. I don't know. What do you know about Foreigner? Yeah, so they were um, 
Yeah, this was their first uh, hit in both the U.S. and the U.K., despite originally flopping in in its uh, British release. Um, so Foreigner was named because they had yeah guys from England and guys from uh, America. Casey must have loved that. Yeah. <laughs> so this the, the guy Mick Jones, um, founder of Foreigner, he um. He wrote this song himself, and it's about him getting remarried, which I didn't know. And uh, before he formed Foreigner, he was in the band Spooky Tooth with Gary Wright of uh, Dreamweaver fame. So Scary. Spooky yeah. Tooth. Yeah. Yeah. So good song, big song. Yeah. But were yeah, you a I, Foreigner fan at all? No. No? Yeah, I, I thought they were good. Yeah. World's greatest cover band. <laughs> all right so we've heard this one uh already and um at number 30 but this is by another another guy Alrighty, so here we go i hate to say it mark i've never seen this movie no never yeah i don't i don't know if it came out too early to be at the uh West Farms Mall Theater, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I saw it back then. Big, big movie. So of course, we're... did you see it at the Rialto? <laughs> no, Paris Cinema, I think, in the Bradley's Shopping Center, um, oh, okay. on the, at the end of the Berlin Turnpike. There, yeah, yeah. 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 over on Jordan Lane. Yep. yep. <laughs> so uh, this is gonna fly now again. The, the theme from Rocky. Um, this is by. Bill Conti, who was the, um, yeah, the original composer, and he wrote the uh, instrumental for the training montage in, in the Rocky movie. So it was funny because I brought up Frank Stallone earlier. Yeah, <laughs> and I didn't even realize that. Yeah, so it, he he just had the music, and uh, one of his uh, collaborators, uh, Carol Connors. Um, she was taking a shower and the words gonna fly now came to her out of the blue. Uh, so they they completed the song with the full lyrics and submitted it for the film. Um, and the final cut only contains 30 words. But um, it was uh, this song, it had an interesting move up the charts. It, uh, it went from 21 to number seven. And then it moved up one position each week for the next six weeks. So, um, you know, it's the only song to uh, consecutively climb seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Wow. Um, yeah. And four versions of the song made to the Hot 100 in 1977. We, we mentioned the Maynard Ferguson one. Um, and there was also one by Rhythm Heritage, who they did like covers of. Uh, TV and movie themes. So we heard them do, uh, I think, Beretta. Yeah, they do Beretta. Yeah. yeah. All right. Here's another one for you. <laughs> Number three. Thank you. 
Uh, this is uh, Marvin Gaye, Gotta Give It Up, part one. Uh, another one of those part one, part two songs, I guess. Yep. But um, so this one went to number one, and uh, Marvin Gaye, he was trying to get like a loose, casual party atmosphere for the track. So including sounds of people talking in the in the studio mix. And they put some kind of weird so- uh, sounds in this one. Um, Marvin Gaye. Yeah, well, Marvin Gaye was a drummer and he's banging on a half filled grapefruit juice bottle. And the percussionist, this guy Jack Ashford, is uh, playing on a homemade instrument he called a hotel sheet, which is a piece of polystyrene that uh, he would shake to produce like a wobbly sound. Um, yeah, so this one, this is famous for a, for a lawsuit that happened in the mid two thousands. Uh, do you remember that, Pete? Is this Alan Thick's kid? Yeah, so Robin Thick's hit "Blurred Lines." Uh, Marvin Gaye's family sued him because it sounded too similar to to this song. I mean, it sounds exactly like this song, and and the jury agreed. They they gave uh, seven point three million dollars in damages to Marvin Gaye's children. Um, hopefully, in, in, yeah, hopefully, they didn't go to Marvin Gaye's father. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> wow, that turned dark. <laughs> too too soon. Oh, that's, I'm I'm sorry, folks. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you know what? Um, you know, George uh, George Harrison's probably rolling over his grave, you know, with all this stuff, and, and so's you know, uh, rainy California with spirit and and um, uh, uh, stairway to heaven. So yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's it, not it up happens. to me to figure that stuff out. But. Yeah. Yeah, it happens. But this one, to me, this one was pretty, pretty obnoxiously like a copy, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, Marvin Gaye, you know, <laughs> what are you going to say? That yeah. Was awesome. Yeah. Awesome guy. Yeah. All right. We're going to go to number two. We're getting there. We're getting there. This is Fleetwood Mac. This is Dreams. This is off that record. Rumors? What they sell about 10, 15 million copies of, of Rumors? Yeah. Yeah. So this was a huge album. It had Don't Stop, Go Your Own Way, The Chain. Um, and uh, Gold Dust Woman. Um, yeah, I read this interesting about this song. Um, they said at this point, the band, everyone in the band was breaking up with their significant others. Uh, Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham, we mentioned uh, John and Christine McVie and uh, Mick Fleetwood and his wife, Jenny Boyd. Uh, they, they were hardly able to work together, but... Um, yeah, so they did like most of the songwriting individually, and Stevie Nicks wrote this in the studio next door where Sly Stone of Sly and the Family Stone was recording, and he had a big sem- semicircular bed with red velvet on on the walls, and it, she said it created a great vibe for a song about romantic entanglements. <laughs> right. 
I can't believe that Sly Stone was in Sly and the Family Stone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> Some of our younger listeners, which we don't have, might not know that. <laughs> okay. Big song, big LP. You know, they, they own they own this this year. So before we get to the number one song, um, Casey mentioned uh, number one in the soul charts was Marvin Gaye. Got to give it up. Uh, number uh, number one on the on the country charts was Waylon Jennings, uh, Luke, Luke, Luke and Beck, Texas. Did I say that right? Luke and Beck, yeah. Luke and Beck. Ever been there? I asked you that. <laughs> yeah. um, and the number one LP was uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac Rumors, and uh, which would be there a lot uh, this this year. And so we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna hit number one with your favorite word. What's your favorite word? Hmm. Hmm. Let's nice. see if I can cue this up correctly. What's your favorite word? Well, this is, of course, Casey and the Sunshine Band, and I'm your boogeyman. And uh, as Casey was saying, that uh, this is their fourth number hit, number one hit in three years. Before this, they had uh, Get Down Tonight, That's the Way I Like It, and uh, Shake Your Booty. So maybe your second favorite word is after boogie is booty. Yeah, so. I remember booty being big in uh, grammar school. <laughs> so, so, what do you got? Yeah, so I mean, in my opinion, this is the, the best Casey and the Sunshine Band song. Um, this one's a toe tapper. I I wasn't a huge fan back then, but I kind of, you know, whether it's the nostalgia or whatever, um, particularly this one, there's a live version, maybe I'll, or, or a, lot, uh, a video, maybe I'll link to it uh, in our show notes where the, there, the guys on the, uh, on the horns are like dancing uh, synchronized and it's, yeah, it's, it's really cool. But uh, this, this is uh, the boogie in the title is in the sense of dancing, um, not the scary boogeyman, which um, <laughs> I had a cruel cousin uh, when I was a kid and he used to lock me in his uh, walk-in closet and he'd say the boogeyman was in there. Um, I, I had a horrible childhood, more horrible than Andrew Gold, I bet. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, guess uh, Casey wrote this and it was uh, he was thinking of a DJ that a DJ is playing music you know in the early morning late afternoon or at midnight so all the time so you can boogie he's your boogie man it's almost like kiss rock and roll every night party every day yeah you know I'm gonna boogie yeah Yeah. because we talked about kiss earlier being the number one band of 1977 according to uh, uh, someone's uh, a poll poll yeah was it USA Today? No, they weren't. No, it was Gallup. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know what? Um, Casey and the Sunshine Band kind of, kind of lost it. You know, with after Disco Demolition, I don't know what they had after this, but but they resurfaced, like when we were in college with uh, Baby Give It Up. And oh yeah, that was a great song. Baby yeah. Give It Up. And that's yeah. I think that's my favorite Casey and the Sunshine Band because it wasn't, you know played to death like all these stuff ones in the 70s and it was a different era yeah 
but um, and and we mentioned that uh, you know he appears in that uh, disco cruise that they have, uh, which you'll see ads for occasionally. You want to um, go? The <laughs> Silvers are going to be on the cruise. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and uh, who are the, who are those those uh, those two women uh, that are on the? Oh, darn it. Anyhow, it looks like a great thing. I, I asked my wife, you want to go? She says, we've always been, already been to Kazamal on a cruise. Not a disco fan? Oh, no, she's a disco fan. Come on, she grew up the same time we did. Yeah. <laughs> Whoop, there we go. So, All right, so that's uh, top 40 for this week, uh, ending uh, June 11th, 1977. So what happens next? Yeah, so this is uh, where we do our ratings and things, and we uh, always started off with your agonizer, please. No, Mister Spock. Or the pick, you know, pick the song that'll torture the other guy. So, um, well, you want to pick, or do you want me to? Pick? Um, I could go first because it's it's a no-brainer. It was like I, I saw it in the countdown, and it's like, well, that's it. And that's Hotel California. Okay, yes. <laughs> I, I putting you in a cell and playing that, I think, would would kill you. <laughs> yeah. Well, for you, um, first I had number twenty three. Do you want to make love or do you just want to fool around? By Peter McCann, who's from Bridgeport, and I says, oh, he's from Bridgeport. Now I can't do that. Number seven, Lonely Boy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of self pity in that Lonely Boy, and and like I said, with the Boogeyman, I had a worse childhood. So, yeah. <laughs> so what's uh, what's the best song of the content for you? You know, I, I I struggled a little bit again, but I I had to go with Jet Airliner. I, I think of the songs in the countdown. That one just stuck out to me as okay. something I would I would definitely crank up the radio. Uh, well, I I had Sir Duke up there as well, and uh, Your Love Has Lifted Me Higher. Yeah. I, I like that one. Well, I, I I had a whole bunch, you know, but I wrote down number fourteen, heard in a love song by uh, Marshall Tucker Band. And, really? Uh, okay. Just, yeah. Just, yeah. It just reminds me of that of, of that summer and 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 I remember uh, someone brought a radio to scout camp and it was on a lot and it was it re- kind of reminds me of, of my first year of scout camp so it was it was good so uh, okay worst song of the countdown Hotel California I hate this song I wrote it down already what do you got yeah What's your worst song I I hate to say it but I really don't like the do run run. <laughs> okay. I didn't like it then and it, it hasn't grown on me. So. Yeah. All right. All right. Um guilty pleasure. Number one. I'm your boogeyman. Uh I'm I'm right there with you. No uh, way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, of course again, it's almost like is it fair as a guilty pleasure? Because I, I actually said it, I think it's the best uh KC song, but yeah, yeah there you go. All right. Listen to the story about a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food, and up to the ground come a bubbling crude. What's the story song of the week? So I thought it, it had to be Lucille. I wrote down Lucille because of the crap in the field. And that's what we made my older sister. We used to sing that, the one that's close to me in age. <laughs> We're the we're the what on the what and a crap in the field. <laughs> it was a crap. Yeah. Four hundred children in a, in a crap in the field. Yeah. So that is the story song. But Ariel is, is was a, I wrote that down later. 
Yeah, of course, there were a couple other candidates, I hate to say. Okay, what do you got? <laughs> Hotel California <Ugh. laughs> and uh, Life in the Fast Lane. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, but uh, I think Lucille tells the big narrative. Yeah. Especially if it's about Kenny Rogers' mother. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Most divergent songs. What do you have? So I had uh, just, I think, on a scale of uplifting versus depressing, I went with uh, Your Love Has Lifted Me Higher and The Lonely Boy. <laughs> okay. All right. My, my, mine's kind of interesting. So mine was number 28, Hall & Oates, which was the uh, uh, Back Together Again. And Dreams by Fleetwood Mac because they're divergent because Fleetwood Mac that was I mean that's Fleetwood Mac I mean what's that's what they do that's Stevie Nicks and and you hear a song like that and you hear Stevie Nicks and whatever okay but when you hear Back Together Again and you hear Oates singing okay it's not like you ever heard John McVie or or uh, Mick Fleetwood singing even though it's you know kind of jarring to hear Oates yeah you know yeah so I mean a good song. But, uh, and, and, and the guy's talented, you know, yeah. my goodness. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So. yeah. Interesting. You, yeah. you're, it's funny. Your divergent songs are always, they've, they've got an interesting twist. So appreciate yeah. that. All right. So what are we going to rate this thing? The whole solid thing B. Yeah. Um, I, it's funny. So we're, we're sort of flipping a little from uh, the previous episode. I, I rated this a B minus. Um, there were some good songs in it, but the, there was a lot that I just was like, yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of throw away, but uh, yeah, fair enough. Okay. Yeah. What are you going to, what are you gonna do, man? Yeah. Yeah. The ratings are still evolving, so as we go further, we'll. Yeah. So you said B minus, right? Yeah, B minus. As I'm fumbling around with the spreadsheet here, yeah. <laughs> of course I'm not fumbling around. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, you're over mousing, aren't you? <laughs> Since I can't see you, I can't tell. <laughs> All right. So, as Casey would say, keep your eye on the sparrow when the going gets narrow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> yowza, yowza, yowza. Okay. I'll see All you right. Uh, Take care, buddy. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.